Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to episode 226 of the Motorcycle Men Podcast and another interview episode for your listening pleasure. Hey, the Motorcycle Men Podcast is brought to you by Tobacco Motorwear for the best American-made Kevlar line selvage riding jeans. You got shirts, jackets, graphic tees, and accessories. You want to go to Tobacco Motorwear at TobaccoMotorwear.com. There's a special link just for Motorcycle Man listeners who want to order from Tobacco Motorwear and the show notes and on the Motorcycle Man website homepage. Or you can give them a call, 747-666-5741. They're in California, and you tell Dave and Andrew and the crew there at the Motorcycle Men sent you. Make sure you use that coupon code MOTOMEN when you're ordering. And Scorpion Helmets. For the last 15 years, Scorpion EXO has been dedicated to offering high-quality, innovative motorcycle helmets and technical apparel. At an incredible value, some of the world's best helmet and apparel designers spend countless hours developing, testing Scorpion XO products to ensure that each and every Scorpion XO helmet and garment will surpass user expectations. To learn more, you go to scorpionusa.com. And Shinko Tires, hey, whether if you're riding a sport bike, a scooter, off-road bike, dual sport, cruiser, Harley-Davidson, doesn't matter, Shinko has a tire to suit your needs and your riding style without breaking your bank account. So if it's time for tires for your bike, think Shinko. Go to ShinkoTireUSA.com and you tell them that the Motorcycle Men Podcast sent you, all right? Hey, the Motorcycle Men Podcast is supporting David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation. If you would like to help out and be a part of something that actually makes a difference, donate today to David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation where the money goes to the people who need it. Go to davidsdreamandbelieve.org to donate. Links will be in the show notes as well. And, of course, the Gold Star Ride Foundation, helping the families of fallen soldiers and making a difference in the lives of those left behind. If you'd like to be part of a great cause and get some heartfelt miles in, you go to goldstarride.org and learn how you can participate in the next Gold Star Ride. Now, so if you're thinking of doing this uh, long-distance ride, regardless of where it is, uh, my guest tonight has done it. Pretty much all of it. So he's very entertaining. One of my favorite authors out there. And I hope you enjoy this interview. Good evening, everyone. And welcome to the Motorcycle Men Podcast. This is going to be episode 226. And joining me tonight is my favorite author of audio travel books. I want to introduce you to my new friend, Graham Field. Graham, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tess. Pleasure to be here. I'm so glad to finally get you on the show. It's been a while coming. Now, for those who have been living under a rock and don't know about you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Right. I'm going to assume you all live under rocks. Uh, there's no reason why you should know who I am. Uh, my name is Graham Field. Uh, I've ridden motorbikes since before I was old enough to have a license. I've traveled since I was, before I was old enough to have my own passport. On my parents' passport, a little picture of me in the corner, so they were allowed to take me away. Um, and so travel and motorbikes have always been in my life. And I suppose I've always written as well, because I've kept a diary every day of my life for over 30 years. Over half my life is, is documented. Wow. And um, about, when was it, 2009, I did a motorcycle trip to Mongolia, and decided I'd write a book about it. 
And uh, it went quite well. It became quite popular. So consequently, wrote the second book, third book, done audio books, now do broadcast, a little bit of TV, um, a sort of Z-list uh, -list celebrity, which is why you've never heard of me. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, you got three books out now. You've That's got right. Eureka, which you're, we're going to talk about the spelling of that very shortly. You've got <laughs> in, uh, in Search of Green Aggress, and if you've got different natures. Now, why don't you give us a brief synopsis of those three books? And I guess, I guess also, is there a specific order we should be listening to them? Oh, well, that's, that's tricky. I normally recommend listening to them or reading them in the order that I wrote them. And okay. In Search of Greener Grass was the first one. So, brief synopsis would be, uh, okay, so I was between houses and I was living with a friend. And my friend uh, in the corner of this room had this big square box. It was called a television. And I've never had one before. And because all my toys are in storage, because I was between houses, I started watching this television. And I got addicted to this uh, TV game show called Deal or No Deal. I think you have a version in the States as well. Yes, yes, exactly, yeah. Anyway, I got obsessed with this program. Long story short, I applied to be on the show. And I got on the show. It was about a year through wow. the application process. Oh, God, you get health checks, criminal checks, doctor's checks. They, you go through various auditions. One of the auditions, I think, was the second audition. Without, any, without telling you what they're going to do, they put you in front of a camera and say, tell you a little bit about yourself. Well, that's a lot easier now because I've been doing this stuff for a while. But right. then I thought, oh, my God, what do I say? Now, I'd recently been on a dating site, so I used my dating site introduction. <laughs> Great. That must have went over Tall, good. athletic. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, uh, anyway, got on the show, did the show. And one of the things that you well, I'd written in my file, you know, the inevitable, what would you do if you won a significant amount of money, and I rather flippantly wrote, I would do a motorcycle trip that would make you in and Charlie's look like a trip to the grocery store. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so anyway, they used this and I thought, shit, I better go now. So I, I won 5,000 pounds, about 7,000 US dollars. And I bought a shitty little KLR off of eBay. KLRs in the in the UK or in Europe of far less popular than they are in the States. The yeah. European model is a bit different. I won't go into the, sound like a real anorak here, but the tanks are way, way smaller. They do have better brakes, subframes different. So there's a lot of differences. Right. So I bought this cheap ass little KLR and I didn't have much money. And uh, I headed east to Mongolia with very little clue, very little hate research. It bores me. And uh, <laughs> Although it's important. Yeah, apparently so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd rather look back with experience. <laughs> if I'd have read my book before I'd left, I would have made a lot less mistakes. <laughs> so, uh, so, but that very daunting on my own. I always ride solo, um, mainly because you know all your mates will say, "Yes, great, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go," and as the date approaches, they all drop away, and it doesn't happen. And and to be honest, you know, I might not be the easiest person to ride with. So. <laughs> And I'm not very good at riding, so, you know, so anyway, uh, I, I thought it's very daunting to set off from your house thinking you're going to go to Mongolia, sure. and it was just huge. But I had some friends in Sweden, and there was a Sweden rock festival was happening, no. and that year, I think that was 2010, um, Guns N' Roses were headlining, and there are a few other things, the sort of reformed Guns N' Roses with Axl Rose and a bunch of other guns, and... Uh, <laughs> 
so anyway, so I thought as I was leaving, I thought all I'm doing is going to rock festival. I'm not absolutely shitting myself because I'm doing this thing. And then slowly progressed through Poland into Ukraine, Cyrillic alphabet, getting kind of strange, then into Russia and uh, down to which uh, a place called Sochi, which no one had heard of, but it's where they had their Winter Olympics in 2014, I right. think. So they sort of recognised name. At the time, they were building all their stadiums for the Winter Olympics. So these single lane roads up and down all these hills, and there's these slow Russian trucks pumping out this black smog of diesel. And you, you overtake one, you just get me stuck behind another. So that wasn't a very pleasurable right. ride. That's my that's my Olympic experience. <laughs> uh, so then, yeah, through Russia into Kazakhstan, uh, back into Russia, and eventually into Mongolia, which was just. I couldn't believe on a bike that had cost me about a thousand US yeah. to, to go all that way. And then realizing once I got to Ulaanbaatar, the capital, it's a little short-sighted it being a landlocked country and the biggest landmass on the planet. It's not famous for its ports. You've, you've got to go somewhere from there. And I wasn't about to go back. It was getting cold. It was getting sort of winter time. So I ended up going across the Trans-Siberian to Vladivostok in far eastern Russia thinking I could ship the bike back from there. Uh, but it was going to cost me four times what the bike had cost me to ship it back. And you have to leave Russia with the motorcycle that you entered with. It's one of the stipulations. Right. And although I didn't like Russia that much, it is a trans being the biggest country in the world. It's a transit point to so many beautiful countries. I didn't sure. want to be like banned from, from Russia. Anyway, long story short, well, it's a long story, but I've got a book about it. And uh, I ended up going to uh, South Korea. And all I knew about South Korea was what I'd seen on MASH. That was the extent <laughs> of my research. And, um, and then ended up being able to put the bike the, the, in Korea, you know, huge industrial country, and they make the Kia and the Hyundai cars. Sure. And they have these massive uh, roll-on, roll-off uh, ferries that they put the cars on. And almost as a favor, these very... They're a very polite, can-do nation. Yeah. Um, they they put uh, they put my bike on their ferry, and 40 days later, it ended up back in the UK, and I got my little KLR back. So that was the book that is in search of greener grass. And uh, I, I think it, it, it was popular because it was brutally honest. I was clearly clueless. There was no bragging. A lot of people said it should have been called In Search of a Shag because the amount of near romantic encounters I had, which never actually came to fruition. <laughs> but another question I want to ask you: like, when when you first thought of this, why'd you, why'd you just what? Why Mongolia? Why did that? Um, well, I suppose to a degree, I was influenced by the long way round. Right? Oh, but, who isn't? Um, but, well, yeah, but also, I mean, I've always traveled prior to that. I'd cycled around China and India. I'd backpacked yeah. around South America and stuff. So, and I've met some uh, some people, I think it was in, in, in Patagonia, and they told me about taking the Trans-Siberian uh, Express and, and Mongolia then and how wild it was. And I think that sowed the sea back then. Ah, okay. Right. Uh, plus, I have a shoe. I love wide open spaces. Where I where I grew up in the UK in the southeast, it's so crowded, it's so densely populated. Yeah. If if you look at these population maps, uh, world atlases, 
and the sort of the red bits are the highly dense, high density populations. Sure. You'll see New York, you'll see Hong Kong, and you'll see the southeast of England. We're right up there. And so I love to get away from people and buildings and be in the wide open space. So Mongolia being the least populated place on the planet was uh, was a sort of good target. <laughs> I can totally agree with you on that. Now, Eureka, <laughs> it, you have it spelled U-R-E-K-A, and apparently that pissed off a lot of people <laughs> in the spell. Oh, I was so bloody clever because, well, what happened was, so I thought, so the first book went well. I thought, well, I'm going to do another trip and I'm going to write another book. And uh, so the second trip was going to be to the stands, uh, Kyrgyzstan. I've already done Kazakhstan and stuff. And I wanted to go to Iran as well. But that was 2013. They were having their elections. It was very difficult to get a visa. And so I th in the end, it was becoming impossible. Right. So that's fine. I was going to go to Uzbekistan and that. So I headed off, same bike, and uh, headed off, then went down through Turkey, or through sort of Eastern Europe, Bulgaria into Turkey, and went into Iraq. I thought, well, if I can't go into Iran, I'll go into Iraq. Most people don't know the difference anyway. <laughs> so uh, toured, toured around northern Iraq for a little while, then up into Georgia, Azerbaijan, got to the Caspian Sea. Now, that was where it's supposed to start. You cross the Caspian Sea and you start the, the stands. Huge mountains, fantastic mountain ranges, sure. incredible cultures, uh, mosques, camels, da, 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 da. But I wasn't getting it. I, was, I just wasn't getting the mojo. I couldn't feel it. I'd really been pushing hard for about six weeks to get to this point. And now I was there. I'd had all my visas, which is a really complicated process. I've right. got all of those in Turkey. And I wasn't, wasn't getting it. And um, I was looking at people's blogs who had already done it. And they're like, oh, there's camels roaming wild. It's like, well, I saw that in Mongolia. And they say, well, there's moss. And so I was in that in Turkey. And I just think, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Am I doing this for a book or am I doing it for me? And uh, in the end, I sat there and I thought, and it, and it wasn't a matter of going home because right. I didn't have a home to go to. My home was rented out. And I thought, you know what, screw it. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't feel like I want to do it. I'm just going to turn this thing around. There is, there is going to be no book. Fuck it all. I'm just turning around. <laughs> and um, so I turned around. And the second, the second I made that decision, it's as if the planets aligned. And I just got the feel-good factor. That first night after I turned around, I camped in this uh, truck graveyard, this scrapyard. Oh, wow. And there were these old russian trucks they were leaking fluids they had smashed windows the tires were shredded and uh, i camped behind this little uh, derelict water truck uh, water tanker i stuck one of my stickers on the back in search of greener grass <laughs> i thought a water truck should be in search of greener grass and uh, in the morning when i woke up they'd all gone it was a truck stop <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was derelict trucks oh that's beautiful Beautiful. But, but then, so then I went back to Georgia, rediscovered Georgia, which is an incredible place. It's only the size of, of the country island, but so diverse from sort of, you've got the Black Sea coast, you've got sort of mid-country wine, and then you've got these high mountains, almost 300 glaciers in this sort of mountainous wow. area. And, and it's, for such a small country, it's so diverse, so beautiful. So we've got to spend a lot of time in Georgia. And then slowly headed back through former Yugoslav states. So it was still a 100-day trip, like the first trip. It was still a £5,000 budget, like the first trip. And it was still about 10,000 miles, like the first trip. Wow. Although because 
um, because it was a, a U-turn, if you look at it on the map, you know, because I came back instead of just going as far as right. uh, as, as clear and stopping, uh, it doesn't look as impressive on the map. Right. You so anyway, I got loop. back. And, sorry? You didn't do a big loop like the other ones. You just went out and back. No, yeah. no. So, um, so, so got back and um, it still felt like a, 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 a reasonable amount of achievement. And yeah, I thought, you know what? I am going to write a book about it. And it actually flowed really well. And looking for a title, we thought, well, I did a U-turn. That's when I had my Eureka moment. That's when it all went perfect. So I'm going to call it Eureka with a U. <laughs> Bloody inspired stuff. But it wasn't. It was so stupid. Because anybody who can spell Eureka and looks for it on a search engine can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> We added it. We go for no extra charge. We did an E. So, um, so now whether you Google, you read with a U or you can with the hopefully you can find it. But yeah, it was inspired. But I just too Don't play with words when you're messing with search engines. <laughs> so now you got your first two books, uh, Eureka and In Search of Green and Grass. Now they took place after your latest book, Different Natures. Now did that. Did that make it more confusing or difficult during the writing and the production of the new book? Um, well, it wasn't confusing for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> you had it all written down. Yeah. Well, for the, for the third book, Different Natures, uh, as I said, I've always kept a diary. So I thought, well, maybe I can go back to my diaries, recall some earlier trips, and, and write about them. And it was truly an experiment. I didn't know if it would work. But... I mean, now I've got, you know, over 30 years of diaries on the shelf. Sure. There will never be anybody, myself included, who will read them. That, you know, it's a waste of life. <laughs> and uh, they are purely there for reference. Uh, just recently, we, we looked up when uh, what I was doing the day my uh, girlfriend's daughter was born. So it's a reference thing now. You just go to a certain year, a certain sure. page, and you can check. Something. So I went to look for a... Uh, for a um, uh, for some earlier trips. Now, the first trip, I mean, like I said, I've always ridden bikes, but it would always be to a destination, to a bike show or a rally where there were facilities at the end. Sure. So the first proper trip I did where it was a little tour, um, I spent a lot of time my, of my life in Colorado. And uh, so a mate of mine was doing a little trip from Colorado up to Seattle uh, and back again. And he had a Triumph 955 Sprint. This was in 2001. And... Uh, I was living with him at the time, and uh, he said, would well, you want to come along? I said, well, you're going to have to buy me a bike, and you're going to have to lend me some money. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, all right. Oh, well, I can't believe oh, luck how that is, right? He was, yeah. He was a lifelong friend. Um, so now, all I knew about at the time, my only interest in bikes were I got like a 30-year, uh, quite knowledgeable history uh, window in the history of Harley-Davidson. So really from pan heads to they stop making shovel heads that was my passion of harleys right and uh, i'd all the only other bikes i'd owned was uh, xt 500s yamaha 500 sure. single trials bike so i didn't really know what i needed uh, sort of bike wise to be compatible with his sprint plus it was his money and uh, so i couldn't be spending loads so i ended up buying a yamaha venture which is yamaha's version of a gold wing it is so <laughs> bloody ugly i've got so few photos of it it was not a photogenic bike and uh, and it was as thirsty as hell it had this huge fairing it, it was it was awful but 
it was two wheels that I could do a trip to California up the Pacific Coast Highway on. Yeah. <laughs> Despite the fact it was costing me more in fuel than, than I was spending <laughs> in alcohol. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, we, we did it. Uh, brilliant trip. We, we, we uh, went through all sorts of uh, different um, uh, different um, weathers, uh, ended up in snow, waking up one morning, hung over and finding there was snow on the tent at the end of the trip. <laughs> and uh, so that was, a, I think it was about a 14-day trip, 10 states, and, and, a, and a huge learning curve. I mean, I started off without a crash helmet riding through Colorado on the first day. Yeah. Got into Utah, um, where you have to wear a helmet, and uh, stopped in this restaurant and went to the bathroom to wash my hands and had this burgundy strip down the center of my head where my hair has parted from intense sunburn. I mean, I was so road weathered the first day into the trip. You know, I was so clueless. <laughs> so it, again, this this is where the preparation and planning comes into play. I guess that never dawned on you then, right? No, not really. Not in those days. <laughs> uh, well, well, let me let me ask you. Well, how did this? How did the trips in in your in different natures? How did that compare to your previous? Well, I shouldn't say your previous trips. How do they compare to the Mongolia and the uh, Eastern European trips you did? I would say I was still left pretty clueless. So, you know, there is an <laughs> infinite amount of information out there. And, um, and th there comes a stage in the research process where you just see one contradiction after another, yeah. whether it's hard panniers, soft panniers, tires, whatever. And you become paralyzed with too much information because... I, whatever it is, you know, whether you're researching a CCTV setup or a new coat you want, eventually you, no one can agree on anything. Yeah, you're right. And you're so, right. so rather than just be paralyzed by all this contradiction and all these opinions, I don't read any of them. Yeah. Now, listen, with this trip, the, Cal the California thing, now, like you said earlier, you didn't have a bike. Now, I guess that didn't concern you at all, did it? Well, you know, you say, what did you do about preparation? I bought a bike, <laughs> That was the preparation. That was the preparation. Now, Quite I, significant, I, I think. Because I, I did listen to the audiobook. How many days before you left did you get that Yamaha? Uh, two days. Two days. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been two days looking. I found I bought it on the Friday. I had to get it registered on that same day because I think we were leaving on the Sunday. So, uh, and then, I, so that, that weekend, really, you'd think you'd spend working on the bike, right. but me and my girlfriend went camping in the mountains instead. Good planning, man. <laughs> was that the right bike for the trip? No, it was appalling. It was awful. Oh, God. But, um, but um, <laughs> it, it, it worked. I yeah. didn't really have any, I had no mechanical issues with it. Oh, that's good. I didn't. Yeah, it had old tires with it. I didn't change the tires. I got back on board tires. So, it, uh, knowing what I know now, <laughs> I wouldn't even have looked. I wouldn't even have looked at a Yamaha Venture. Oh my God! Yeah, you had a bit, a little bit of affection for uh, Zion Park, <clears throat> didn't you? Oh, I love it. Uh, I, I think I've been there ten or eleven times now over the last twenty-five years. Oh no, kidding! It's oh, the, the very first time I went. I borrowed this green camper van, a Chevy camper van, from a, a friend's mother. And a friend of mine from England had come over to visit. I was living in, in Colorado at the time. And we'd driven all day and just wild, we parked it, wild camped in a lay-by. And uh, woke up, this was, when would this have been? I don't know, uh, late 90s, something like that. And 
we woke up in the morning, lit a joint, looked at the map and said, look, there's this place here called Zion. We could sort of do a circle and go through this national park. So we drove along and uh, we've been living in the van for a little while, so it's a bit smelly. And uh, <laughs> we got to the, uh, the the entry where there's the ticket booth. We had the tickets out to wind down the window. There's plumes of smoke coming out. I go, <laughs> Chinese <laughs> eyes. <laughs> and um, we, I think he must have known. It was pretty bloody obvious, really, <laughs> what, what we look like. And uh, and so we drove into Zion National Park and were just blown away, just in awe. And uh, I mean, it's such a beautiful, timeless place. And wow. I always say, you know, when you get these stock market crashes, these Black Mondays, and you know, offer people in suits in high-rise buildings, look at computer screens, and throw themselves out of windows. They should go to Zion National Park because it makes you realise you are just a blip in time. You oh, are yeah. so insignificant. And um, I don't get it every time, but probably about half the times I've visited, I just get this feeling. It gives me this feeling that no other place on the planet gives me. It just, wow. Have you been it, back? It, have you been back since? When was the last time you were there? It's been a while now. I bet it's been about six or seven years since I was last there. I've been in the States for nearly five years. I I've think still you need to come KLR back here. In a, no, I've, I've still got a KLR sitting in a goat shed in Colorado, which I haven't seen in five there years. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Does that desert environment still call to you these days? Constantly, yeah. Oh, I, love I love I love the desert. The desert is I awesome. I like it is. I, well, anywhere where I can stand and for 360 degrees, it would look like that a thousand years ago. Oh, there yeah. are no telegraph poles, no houses, no roads, no sign of humanity. And other than the occasional vapor trail overhead, yeah. that's it. Well, you kind of like Moab too, didn't you? Moab's beautiful as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Moab. I've been there twice and I just <laughs> I can't wait to go back again. Um, now, that, that West Coast trip, did that satisfy you enough? I, it, yeah, I think it did. I think my friend got more satisfied because yeah. he got laid more. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was a perk, right? <laughs> <laughs> but then he had a then he had a cooler looking bike. You know? <laughs> <laughs> aside from that, what, what what aside from Zion, what else about that California trip stuck, sticks with you these days? Ah, uh, well, it's quite fresh in my mind again now because I just at sure. the end of last year um, did the audio book, so obviously reread it and then had to listen to it again, sort of the proof listening. So I remember going up up the California coast was beautiful, the redwoods. Um, getting to Washington again, you know, I, as I said, did no my my preparation was buying a bike. My research involved following my friend. That was it. And when we got to Seattle, we went to the Boeing factory. Oh, cool. Which, uh, which is incredible. I mean, the statistics uh, were so vast uh, from the fact, you know, you, there was a viewing platform where you look down on three jumbo jets in various stages of completion. And and the workshop floor, it was so hard to grasp it because it was so vast, but they were real full-size planes that were being built. And they turn out a plane every eight days. Wow. Which I think so. my mother's just ordered a couch and they want 16 weeks to delivery. <laughs> So you, you can, can build get a jumbo jet in eight days, but it takes you sixteen weeks to build like a couch. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe you should get yourself a jumbo jet instead. <laughs> oh my! So, um, so again, you know, the vastness of that um, through sure. Montana was beautiful, and then um, 
we'd intended to go through Yellowstone, but the, the weather didn't cooperate yeah. and we came back through through snow. But, I mean, I, I love, I mean, I spent a lot of time in America. I love the States. I think everywhere west of, of the, the Rockies and west of the Rockies is also beautiful. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've ridden east through, or gone east through Kansas and Missouri, and it's a bit samey, but... Um, <laughs> Go west, and uh, and, and the, the beauty is incredible. Sure. How many miles was that California trip? Oh God, um, I don't know. Um, I'm guessing it was about three thousand something like that. Oh, that's that. it. Okay, I thought, about, I thought it was more it was than that. Huge. It might have been a bit more. I yeah. don't know. So now you're living in Denver, Colorado, and you got hatched this plan to ride through Alaska with a couple of your friends. No. <laughs> yeah, no we, idea where that plan came from. So probably <laughs> alcohol induced. <laughs> now, when what bike did you use for that trip? I had a, a Connie, a, a Kawasaki Concourse. Oh, okay. Um, which wasn't dissimilar to the Venture, but far, far lovelier bike. Okay. Uh, Handle better. I think probably the only four cylinder bike I've ever had. Oh wow! And. Uh, when you opened that up, it did scream. I mean, not in a sports bike kind right. of way, but it, it did have a lovely sound. And uh, that suited me fine. It, it came with its own panniers, which, had, which were a bit of a pain in the ass. How many, uh, had how many days before the trip when you departed did you get the bike? Oh, I was really organized this time. Oh, really? Closer to a week. Yeah, closer to a week, I think. Oh, wow, so you actually had some planning involved with this one, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd done that for a while. I, um so yeah, it was what had happened was I was living in the states. So I, I this was a very well organised trip actually, oh, good. because a friend of mine was flying over from England. My other mate uh, had a career; he was had his own business in uh, in Denver. So we had specific miles to do every single day to get to specific campgrounds. Some of which had to be booked, you know, six weeks in advance because. Okay. The Alaskan tourist window is so small yeah. uh, because of their, their, their very short summer. So places like Denali National Park, you had to book these things so far in advance. And six weeks after we left, we had a ferry we had to catch down the, um, what do they call it? The, the Alaskan uh, Coastal Highway or something. Yeah. But is it something like that? Anyway, I, I thought, oh, Alaskan Coastal Highway, that sounds nice. That sounds like a nice ride. Turns out... <laughs> <laughs> you can't do it on a bike. A marine highway, I think that's what it's called. Anyway, so we had to get this ferry. It was imperative. And uh, so the whole trip was was very uh, structured insofar as regardless of weather, and the weather was appalling. We had 21 days of consecutive rain. Oh, no, and, really? Oh. oh, it was shit. All the Canadians were saying, oh, it's going to pass in a couple of days. Well, we haven't got a couple of days. We just rode with the storm. It kept us company. It wasn't until the morning we woke up in Chicken, Alaska, when we actually woke up and there was sunshine. We rolled up a dry tent for the first time in three wow. weeks. Oh, my God. Well, what, what, would you, what would you do differently with that trip now? If you were to do it now, what would you do differently? Not much. I'd, take a, I'd probably take a KLR. I'd probably take a smaller bike okay. so I could explore the, the dirt roads a bit better. All right. And I don't think I would... I'd probably camp a little bit more because it's so expensive to stay in the various guest houses on route i mean there's only one road and again they have a very short amount of time to to make their money for the entire year so you regularly spent and this was in 2007 you regularly spent a hundred dollars to stay in a in a little room for a night which was you know a huge slice of my travel budget sure yeah um 
but no, time of year was right. I would allow more time. I would just have, if I did it again, I would just make sure I had the flexibility to sit out the rain for a couple of days rather than just ride through yeah, it. Yeah. But other than that, I wouldn't really change much. It was fantastic riding with two friends. Wow, of course. We'd all known each other for a very long time. But looking back, it was a very boozy, laddish trip. You know, it was every single night was drinking. It was it was a lot of fun. But, you know, it wasn't until we got to Whitehawks where I I hooked up with a girl who I previously met when I was backpacking in Laos and uh, and spoke to a local and hung out with a local. And we all realized then, wow, you get so much more from a trip. When you speak to local people, when yeah. you stay at a local person's house, you've suddenly got this insight. And previous to that, the only insight we got was we're at the bottom of a Jägermeister bottle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Did you did you make it up to the Arctic Circle? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it was one of the, it remains one of the most phenomenal rides I've ever done. Uh, riding through the night, riding north with the sun in your eyes. And uh, and uh, which never set. It was about a week after summer solstice, so the sun did set, but the sky just turned from a beautiful orange sunset into an orange sunrise and came back up again. Wow! And, <laughs> how was how was the Dalton Highway? Um, it was fine. It was not ideal bike again. You know, I was on a on a sort of big sort of street tour at the yeah. Kawasaki Concourse, but managed it fine. And uh, again, you get so many horror stories people coming the other way telling you of you know deep ruts and mud and everything people love to love to overhype the road that you're about to go over and, and it, it was never that bad you know and, and i'm not a good rider but it was it was perfectly passable cool so i made a phone call to this little town in alaska and they uh they apparently they're putting out a warrant for your arrest because there's a license plate missing uh, <laughs> in homer alaska why don't you tell us about that <laughs> well uh, it was it, at the time it was the biggest ride ever done it was a huge achievement to sure. have gone to alaska and uh and i loved alaska it was beautiful some before i'd left someone had said it's like colorado on steroids and it is um it's every the rivers are bigger the mountains are higher the distances are vaster the animals are, are, are fiercer and uh we were we were riding down to homer which again was a beautiful place and and i i've been thinking to myself i want an alaskan number plate for the shed wall and we we passed this scrapyard and there was no one about now in any other country i'd probably just wander around but <laughs> knowing americans and their liking for guns and their disliking for trespassers um i asked at the next door gas station you know would it be all right to uh, to go and have a look around the scrapyard I said well the owner's not there and i thought probably best not to uh, but but it remained. I really wanted a license plate. And when we came back from home, it was July fourth, the evening of July fourth. So everyone was sort of on vacation. No no businesses were open. Right. And uh, stopped at this scrapyard again. And with a pair of pliers and a screwdriver, I saw this number plate, and it was six 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 CLO, the number no of these. <laughs> and. Uh, and and I whipped it off in no time. Didn't get shot, and uh, <laughs> all caught. <cool. laughs> do you still have it? I do. It's on the shed door now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So now you <laughs> so you returned to Denver, and apparently you decided you needed some southness because you were kind of tired of the cold weather, and so you set your sights on uh, Mexico. 
Well, this is now 2012. Yeah. So I've already done the Mongolian trip now. So um, so now I'm, I'm really well researched. Now I and all Imagine this work. <laughs> I'd been to Mexico a few years before on a bike okay. on a KLR with a friend of mine, and loved it. And I'd been at the London, uh, the Birmingham Bike Show in the UK, which is around just before Christmas, and it's a ten-day show. Right. And as a visitor, it's wonderful. If you're working it, you'd be hard pressed to find a single person who a trader who works that show and has anything good to say about it because it is a tough show to 10 days 10 hour days in that environment of big echoing halls where you're just selling your product and particularly me selling a book is basically cold selling i'm having to sure. stop people in the aisles hand them a flyer and say you know read about me this is me me and my book me and my trip me 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 and you've you've got to feel confident and you know I'm, I'm good at well I'm not good at riding but i'm good at riding long distances yeah I'm quite good at writing but i can't do sales going out to uh, and, and approaching people and some people are receptive i mean you get to learn at a show like that the people who are worth approaching the people who are on their own because they're happy for someone to speak to yeah. the people who are wearing the gore-tex coats because they're probably that kind of motorcyclist but it can be very tough. And you might talk to someone for 20 minutes and they go, oh, that's very interesting. Good on you. And off they go. <laughs> you wasted your breath. <laughs> Buy my damn book. <laughs> so uh, very tough environment. And so got back from the bike show. Uh, my, my trade before that was fitting kitchens and bathrooms. And around Christmas time, you might get a rush job, but there was nothing. So there was no work at all. So rent out my house, went to Denver, already had my KLR there, pulled it out the goat shed. And um, no, I didn't. I had, no, I didn't have the KLR then. I went, I had to buy the KLR. So once again, buying yeah. a, a, a bike <laughs> two days notice. <laughs> and it, it, at the time, it was the newest bike I'd ever bought. I never owned it. It was only a couple of years old, but it had been done more horizontal miles than vertical ones, I think. It was, <laughs> it was severely bashed on both sides. I uh, bought some cheap-ass Kinder tires for it, had some horrible soft thrower panniers, left in snow, and headed for two days through frozen Colorado, New Mexico, until the thaw occurred in, in Texas. <laughs> now, do you think it was a hasty decision to depart Denver in the winter? Well, you see, the thing is... <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> When you buy stuff over the internet in the UK, yeah. it being quite a small country, it normally arrives next day. Now, I ordered these Kinder tires and they took a week to arrive. This is in the US. Now, in that week, a blizzard also arrived and I was going down. So this was yeah, 2012. Yeah. So that was the, the world was supposed to end then on the 21st December. It was the end of the Mayan calendar and the right. whole of the world was supposed to end then. So I wanted to get down to Chichen Itza or, or somewhere in Mexico for an end of the world party. I thought, you know, it would be the ultimate party to attend. Uh, so the tires took a long time to come. I was running late. The blizzard came and I just wanted to go. So I thought, well, you know, I'm going to get out of this blizzard in a few days and and i did but it was a tough couple of days <laughs> yeah. and I, never, I was still in texas for the end of the world so i missed it oh gosh <laughs> now at one point you found yourself riding when it was eight degrees 
and you were practically numb from head to foot. So I guess preparedness didn't enter your mind at all? Well, what can you do? You know, I had three layers on. I had heated grips. Um, that was the extent of my warm weather riding. And, and I think you're referring to the bit on the way back uh, when, once again, I rode through a blizzard. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. It was quite funny. I'd stopped in Santa Fe, New Mexico, or just north of Santa Fe, and the guy said to me, the gas station attendant said to me, he said, you better watch out. There, there's snow down in Santa Fe. And I said, yeah, but I'm going to Denver. And he, he just looked at me like, well, there's no hope. <laughs> <laughs> now, why don't you tell us about the, the bike? Uh, you seem to have lucked out with that a little bit. It was fine. It was a good little bike. Um, I, I didn't really prepare it that well. And it wasn't until like three days later when I got down to the uh, Rio Grande, the Texas-Mexico uh, border, where I was warm enough to pack it properly. <laughs> because prior to that, I permanently had numb fingers. Yeah. And uh, I didn't really get on with the soft panniers. But to be honest, the next, I think it was the very next year or two years later, my huge mistakes were cheap tires and soft panniers. Right. And I went back to Denver a few years later. I bought Mifo tires, which I love, tried and tested. I bought... Um, some tusk panniers, which were quite uh, inexpensive, hard panniers, and did exactly the same route because all I was going was going down to South Mexico, hang out at a surfer beach and, and let the winter pass me by. And uh, with those different tires and different panniers, the same bike was just transformed. You know, I could just go around the corners like Rossi, and it was it was wonderful. Now, you almost bought another bike that was even better condition, had more stuff on it, uh, but it was more expensive. But you, later you learned something else about it, didn't you? Yeah. You know, when I bought this this damaged KLR, it was in my budget and advertised on Craigslist at the same time was a much newer KLR. Um, I think it was a, an 08, the Notorious Oil Burners. And or was it 07? Whatever. And um, But it had, had the 685 conversion. It had Jesse bags. It had the Corbin seat. It had everything. It even said in the advert, Go to Mexico tomorrow. And I thought, <laughs> man, I'd love that. It was, it was for sale up in the mountains. It wasn't in Colorado. It was somewhere up in the mountains. So I would have had to get something to give me a lift up there to, to go look at it. So, And it was more expensive. And it just wasn't really working out. So I had to let it go. And I spent a lot of that trip thinking, oh, I wish I'd have bought the green one. Wish I'd have bought the one with the Jesse bags, with, with all the cool shit. Uh, when I got back from that trip, I intended to put the bike on Craigslist. And I thought, well, let's have a look, see what's on, see what it's selling for so I can judge my price. And there was this bike being parted out, the Jesse bags, the Corbin seat, all the things. And I'm pretty sure it was the same bike which had blown up and oh. was now being parted out. <laughs> Not 100% sure. Boy, was that Riding lucky. a perfectly adequate bike and wishing I bought this other one. Right. And if I had, who knows, I may have left it in Mexico and had to fly home. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Now, you uh, got a little interrupted by Big Bend National Park down in Texas. Are you glad uh, it did? Uh, yeah, I love it there. Um, again, place I've been to several times. And um, it, I think it's America's least visited national park. Um, I think a lot of people don't go because it, it does border Mexico. and People are perhaps a little scared of that. There's no wall yet to protect you. And uh, there's, I mean, you, you can literally walk across the Rio Grande. You won't even get your back wet. You only get your, your thighs wet. Um, 
but it's it's so sparsely populated. It's so beautiful. How long uh, were you there? You, how long were you there for? I think on the way there, I spent a week because I spent Christmas uh, actually in the park because uh, I don't particularly like Christmas either. So you know, when you're out in the middle of nowhere, uh, the, the days are irrelevant. The time of the time of day, the, the seasons are irrelevant. You just uh, got these stunning sunrises and stun- sunsets every day and like i said you can look around you 360 degrees there was oh. no sign of human habitation at all beautiful nice yeah yeah and so now you get down into mexico and you can you cut you kind of slowed down a little bit uh was that yeah, kind once of, it, yeah sorry that, that's kind of like a like a, a mental and physical reward for yourself there how, how did that work out um, well, the, the whole, this particular trip, like, so I've been to Mexico three times, but this particular trip was all about going somewhere warm uh, to research what became the Eureka trip. Uh, so I rented out the house, someone else was paying the mortgage, I just wanted to escape a British winter and, and be somewhere warm. So I got down to this little place called Puerto Escondido, which is a surfer resort. And that's all I intended to do was just stop there. There was a, a lovely guest house, beautiful view, close to the beach. And one evening, I'm down on the beach. I've got quite an attention-seeking lens on my camera. And uh, and I'm squatting down on the beach, uh, photographing the sunset. And this surfer dude comes up to me and says, oh, you're clearly a professional. Would you take some photographs of me surfing? I'll pay for you. And I thought, well, I'm not a professional, but if you pay me, then I suppose I am. So... (laughs) So I took some photos. They're a vain bunch surfers, it turns out. They all want photographs of themselves, you know, in a wave in a tube or something. And um, they will tell you it's because they want to check their stance, their technique, their posture. But it's not. They just want a nice picture for their profile on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I I took his photos. He was very happy. He told his surfer friends. And it seems like every sunset, a different surfer wanted me to capture them. And so I was there in in this place for a month. And every day there were these rippling surfer dudes and hot surfer chicks coming to my door with memory sticks to get the photos that I'd taken of them the the night before. So um, what I'd I'd lacked in research for going to the stands, I made up for in in learning my camera's uh, capabilities. (laughs) and my, my Facebook friends were all getting better looking and younger, and their profile <laughs> pictures were the ones that I'd taken. <laughs> Are you still taking pictures? <laughs> not of surfer chicks. There's not a lot of them in Bulgaria. <laughs> <laughs> so how did this Mexico trip differ from the other ones, aside from the photographs? Um, well, like I say, it was my that trip wasn't really about sightseeing. I'd been down there a couple of years before, right? Uh, done a lot of sightseeing. I went down there again afterwards. I went further south to Guatemala and Belize. So I love Mexican uh, Mexico. I love the Mexicans. I love the Mexican food. I love the diversity of the of the terrain. You've got the the, the spine of Mexico is very high altitude. Sure. Um, then of course you've got your beautiful beaches, wonderful roads. And as a country, it's quite a large country, especially when you get down to little places like Guatemala and Belize, you realize how big Mexico is. And so it's just a place that I really enjoy. I mean, going back to the surfer thing, you know, they were all paying me in beer and burritos. So all uh, all these active surfers with their very good bodies were giving me cholesterol payment and I'm just getting fatter and fatter. <laughs> I think that, that's sort of the scariest thing about Mexico is what it does to your waistband. <laughs> Did you get paid money at all? 
I don't think I ever got paid money. It didn't feel right. I didn't want money. Oh, I just, okay. you know, I got I got fed and I got beer and I was more than happy. There was one girl, very, very cute girl, and she came to, she only lived opposite me in a little guest house opposite me. And she came to my door and she said, oh, what do I owe you? And I said, uh, 20 minutes of your time. <laughs> and, uh, 20 minutes, that's and, all, huh? And she frowned. I was, I was being optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, she frowned, and I said, "Look, I want you to. I want to go shopping with you because I want to take me to a second-hand shop, and I want to find some cool clothes. Because basically, I look like a biker on vacation, and it's not a good look on a surfer beach. Oh, come so on. Uh, she helped me buy some sort of baggy surfer clothes, just so I blended in a little better. Yeah. And uh, so, and she was she was the right girl for the job. She was brilliant. She, you mean um, your uh, you know, your purple camos didn't, didn't go over well? Apparently not. No. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do much riding when you were in, while you were in Mexico? Not when I was on the surfer beach. The riding basically involved going to the supermarket, and that was about it. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I still, I went over the mountains, went to Veracruz. I got a friend in Veracruz on the Gulf Coast, yeah. so rode through there. And um, and it's it's quite a long way getting down to Puerto Escondido. It's only a, a day's ride from the Guatemalan border, so there's a lot of riding to get there. Yeah. And and some stunningly beautiful coastal roads. I mean, you, you've got the 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 prestigious roads like the what do they call it? The Devil's Spine is it in the Appalachians? Oh, I don't. The, uh, oh, um, oh, you're talking about uh, the Devil's the Dragon's Tail, isn't it? Tail of the Dragon, dragon yeah. Right. Well, and then again in Mexico, you've got the Devil's Spine. But there are roads which nobody talks about, which are just endless cliff hugging twisting beautiful rows and with a good set of tires i mean i was gr- grinding my panniers on purpose because wow. you can just you've got so many corners eventually you get it right and you can just just lean it at that right bit and you can hear your panniers go <laughs> against the asphalt <laughs> graham that's why nobody wants to talk about it because they want to keep it to themselves <laughs> now as i know and i know i early on in a book i'm listening to and, and you had a little gripe with some of the the harley dudes you would come across was did you come across that a lot oh, in, in the states now i've had a ridden harley since i was 19 years sure. old i've always had harleys i've still got one now i've got a, a well built from scratch shovel head bottom end pan head heads and a soft tail nice. frame um built primary and final drive totally built from scratch from swap meets both sides of the Atlantic and it's my baby you know I've I've had it over well 25 years now built from scratch funny when I bought it to Bulgaria where I live now we actually uh, came in a friend's van and it was in the back of a van and uh, (laughs) one customs post we lifted up the roller shutter on the back of the van and they saw the Harley there and the guy said ah restoration restoration (laughs) how bloody dare you No, that's where you shake your head and go, yeah, that's right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so anyway, so always had Harleys. Like I say, shovels and pans mainly yeah. once Evos came along. Wasn't quite so interested. But I do have a – because I loved it back in the day, back in the 80s. Used to go to Sturgis and stuff. And there was such a camaraderie between yeah. the bikers then. Um, so the Easy Riders magazine almost dictated – the personality you should have and the way you should be and 
Um, but I, I loved it. They're, everybody knew their bikes. They had to know their bikes because, let's face it, during the AMF years, they weren't exactly reliable. No. You had to, sure, <laughs> there was the occasional problem, you know. Occasional. The brakes were appalling. They didn't stop. The engine wasn't very good. They didn't start. God knows they didn't handle. But So you knew your bike. You had to. You yeah. worked on it constantly. You improved it. And I just feel that with the Evos, Became reliability, yeah, and it almost became a fashion accessory, something to own, and and people didn't know their bikes. They kind of bought into the branding, and they thought they were bad motherfuckers, and they weren't, and they just had all the attitude but no clue. And I find that you know you'd find these gaggles of Harleys riding through national parks, and they'd all wave, but if you broke down as I did on my Connie, it wasn't a Harley. They didn't want to know you. They weren't interested. See, that pisses me off. That annoys me. To me, it's not what biking is. I will stop for anybody. And to think you're better than another, than someone else because of the brand you ride. I, I I really lost a lot of faith in the in the whole Harley scene. Well, know? on behalf of the nice Harley people, I apologize because you know <laughs> I I always stop if somebody ha- if somebody break regardless of what they ride, I'm stopping. You know, just as, even if I can't help, at least I'm there offering some sort of help. You know, I right? Mean, exactly. But that's, that's a shame. And, and, the, and the thing is, in the UK, it's not even a patriotic thing because you know. They're not built in the – people don't ride Harleys in the UK because they're, you know, because yeah, they're built it. in the UK. So you haven't even got the patriotism, yet you've still got this sort of snobbery, and, um, That's and un- I don't like it. Yeah, unnecessary. Of course, I understand yeah. BMW people can be the same way. I, I think they all can, can't they? Goldwing, BMW, um, whatever. There, there, there is this – this, this kind of branding. And yeah. I saw this thing on a KLR forum and it said, um, why don't KLR riders wave? And it's one of the answers was because they're pulling in their clutch looking for sixth gear. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so, so these first two trips that you took on uh, in California and, of course, uh, to Alaska, they were kind of fueled by alcohol a little bit more. What changed when you went to Mexico? Uh, I didn't have enough money to drink. Oh, <laughs> oh so that was it was a financial <laughs> yeah, thing. Well, now, now I'm an author. Now I'm not earning any money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Did that, did that bother you at all? Or Well, I'm just... uh, well I, I do what I love now. I mean, I really enjoy what has become sure. with this with this book thing but um i I am now a starving artist and uh you know i on this particular trip you know i just come back from the bike show i was still waiting for the the stand i'd been working on selling my books would have to process the 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 takings so i didn't have the the money directly from the book sales i just rented out my house it was going to take a month before the first rental check came in and so and I had to buy a bike, so I bought this KLR, and I really didn't have much money. And uh, I thought, well, you know, there's no point in pleading poverty in the bar. You've got to put your money where your mouth is. So I, I just didn't have a drink. And also, I was a little bit destination-driven, and I thought it would be wonderful delayed gratification yeah. to get to Mexico and then say, right, and now I'm going to have my first drink. So uh, my friends say that I'm the ringleader i'm the bad influence oh really but, but apparently i'm not because when i'm not riding with them i don't drink <laughs> oh okay 
But you did you did finally hook up with some people down in Mexico and drink a little bit. It was kind of funny. <laughs> I haven't been there a couple of years before. There was um, there was a Mexican owned uh, restaurant, and it was on the beach. So you just sit at the table. You dig your toes in the sand. Yeah. They got a big screen TV that's playing the sport, the baseball or, or NFL or whatever. And um, so I'd gone there and got myself a table. They do beautiful barbecue ribs. And I got myself a table and got up to go to where the last time I was there, it was the little toilet block. It was where the, the little toilets were. But they, it changed in the in the year or so that I'd been away. And I poked my head in. There's two guys sitting there smoking joint. And I said, oh. <laughs> Oops. I said, oh, sorry, I thought it was the toilets. And he says, uh, no, man. He goes, you want to hit on this? <laughs> so <laughs> I've just done my freezing cold ride through frozen Colorado and New Mexico through the frozen spine of Mexico, through the desert lands and the coastal highway, and I'd reached my long-awaited destination, and this dude hands me a joint, and I thought, now I have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. How many miles was this Mexico trip? Oh, God, I wish you wouldn't ask me this. Um, uh oh See, I thought you had everything written down. Um, it was exactly six, I don't know what it was, I don't know. Um, I. It was probably about it was probably about 6,000 miles, I suppose, something like that. That's not bad at all. That's not bad at all. So now look, now, what prevented you from doing the Different Natures book first? Was it just not the time for the book? Well, I, I, you know, In Search of Greener Grass came from the Mongolian trip. Right. Um, Eureka was, this. you know, I'm going to do a second trip. I'm going to write a second book. And although it didn't quite go according to plan, that was that. The third book, there hadn't been a journey for the third book, but there had been many journeys prior to that. So that's why I thought maybe this worked. And the reason, and again, clever titles, it's called Different Natures because you're going through the different natures sure. of Arctic tundra, of desert, of coastal roads, as well as because the stories range from 2001 to 2012, is the different natures in me as I get older and more experienced and uh and more researched. <laughs> wow. Now, how old were you when you were doing these rides uh, when you first started? Say for your first book. How old were uh, you when you did that? Well, let me think. Uh, 2010, so 65, 75, 85, 95, 05, 45. I was 45 when I did oh, that. Oh, okay. So you weren't, a, you weren't a kid. No, I wasn't a kid. No, I was an idiot, <laughs> but I wasn't a kid. Weren't quite an adult yet either, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're living in Bulgaria now. Yeah. How's that working Eureka, out? Oh, I love it. I mean, on Eure on uh, the Eureka trip, I rode through Bulgaria uh, on the way there and then again on the way back. And I've, I've traveled quite a lot. And every country has its pluses and its minuses. And to me, Bulgaria had very few minuses. It was all good. It's, it's probably one of the most inexpensive countries in the European Union to live. It's one of the least populated is about 7 million people in the entire country, and it's a declining population, which is very hard to get your head around. There are a declining population. The younger people tend to move to Western Europe for better paid work, and so there are vacant houses everywhere. Really? Um, consequently, the, the cost of housing isn't that expensive. It's uh, got a lot of wide open space. It's got four proper climates. We have snow every winter. We have 40-degree uh, centigrade summers and um 
and a beautiful prolonged autumns and gorgeous flowery springs. Um, the language is a, such a struggle. I mean, four and a half years now trying to learn <laughs> Bulgarian. How's that working out? And I've, I've, got, oh, I've got a huge ammunition of words, a huge arsenal of words, but I, I, I talk in, in nouns and verbs, and I can usually sometimes get my point across. You know, I'm using the wrong gender, I'm using the wrong plural and the wrong tense, but I can sort of get my point across. Problem is, when someone replies to me, I just can't get it. I just can't. I, I listen so intensely with my forehead screwed up. I put on my glasses because I think I'm going to help me to hear better. And <laughs> That's funny. Do your neighbors go to you like, words. Graham, you've been here four years. Speak the language. Did he, did he yell at you? Well, there's varying degrees of, of uh, immigrants here who grasp okay. the language to varying status. And I try very hard. Right. Do you get much writing um, in? And I fail miserably. Sorry? Do you get much writing in over there? Oh, yeah. Um, beautiful open roads. All right. The, the roads, there are a lot of potholes. The roads aren't the best condition, some of them. Right. But, I mean, there's there's a mountain pass to the south of me over the, the Balkan Mountains. And about an hour and a 15-minute ride, I go over to get a, an omelette and a coffee and and learn this mountain pass just about know every every hairpin and bend now and uh, and then the winter comes and spring i have to learn it all over again uh. but uh, plus we're very centrally located i can in a day's ride i can be at the transfer garrison and the carpathian mountains in romania i can be in serbia i can be in greece i can be in I can, after this interview, if I fancied a kebab for lunch, I could go to Istanbul in Turkey and, and get a kebab. It's all very close. So it's it's wonderfully located for, for stunning rides down into Macedonia, Albania, Montenegro. They're all just a day away. Oh, wow. And, be, and I've got island mentality. Living in the UK, you have to get a ferry or go through the Channel Tunnel. You sure. can't spontaneously leave the uk but here on a whim i can cross international borders and um and it's it and i, I always used to go away thinking i'll be back tonight but i'm not so i have to take you know a toothbrush with me now <laughs> <laughs> do you take the harley out much not much um it's not registered over here oh. and because it's uh because it's absolutely a bits of bike it would be quite difficult. It'd be subject to a lot of scrutiny before I could get it registered in Bulgaria. Oh, okay. Um, right. But there's a, a law in the UK where any vehicle over 40 years old is um, exempt of, of certain um, regulations that oh, newer okay. vehicles have to apply. And next year, because mine's, well, despite the fact it's a pan uh, shovel, it's registered as an 81. So next year, 2021, it will be 40 years old. It will be exempt of a lot of these regulations. So it's going to be a lot easier to ride it over here oh, okay. and, get a, and get away with it. <laughs> oh, all right. So you're still using the KLR then? Uh, i got a few. There's a few horses in the state. Oh, are there really? All right. So why don't you tell us what you got in there? Okay. Well, probably my newest and most exciting is a Triumph Thruxton R. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Nice. Which... Oh, it is nice. It was a real, it was a, a little treat to myself. And uh, it's whenever, I don't want to be morbid, but whenever you lose a friend, uh, whether it's uh, bad health or expected death or a bike accident, I always think, 
what are you saving it for? What are you saving your money for? You know, the the trick is to let the last check bounce. Make sure. <laughs> I like that. So, um, I think yeah, I I if I want something, I, I'm not completely fatalistic about it. But if there's something I want, I'm going to have it now because I do not want to die with a bank account with some money in it. I'd much rather die with a shed with a lot of bikes in it. Yeah, that's, so, uh, I like that mentality. So, and, and plus, you know, they, they'll devalue a little bit, but I don't want to have my money in a bank. What, what fun is that, you know, looking at a computer screen and seeing some figures there? I'd much rather go to the shed yeah. and, and have a near orgasm at the bike that's sitting there. So, so yeah, I've got a Triumph Truckster, which is the newest, most expensive, most beautiful, fastest bike I've ever had, and, and I love it. So there's that. Then there's a, a Triumph Tiger, a newer one, which is sort of my mileage muncher. You know, if, if there was an apocalypse, I could jump on that bike and I can get back to the UK to make sure my mum's okay without having to rely on public transport, on planes or anything. I can. Nice. I did. I did an iron butt. Uh, I did an iron butt on that. And it oh, was you did. Definitely. Good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's the right. It's the right bike for a mileage muncher. Uh, they've got an XT500, which is again a bit of a bitster, which I'm, is in the shedding pieces at the moment because uh, I like it. it's part of my past of my youth. Right. Uh, got the Harley. Uh, what else is in there? A little dirt bike for going around the villages. There's a, you can ride off road anywhere here in Bulgaria. Really? Uh, as long as you respect crops, you can just ride anywhere. I, I can go out of my driveway and do 20 foot of tarmac. And then I'm on trails, and I can stay on trails. Nice. Wow. That's pretty good. When are you coming back to the U.S.? Well, I don't know. There's there's a Overland uh, show um, in Colorado this year in August. Okay. And I'd sort of been invited to that, and that would kind of work out, what with me having the KLR in Colorado. And it has been five years. So I'm sort of thinking about that, but we'll see. <laughs> Well, you, if you decide to do that, you might want to think about maybe before going on any long rides, maybe working on the KRLR a little bit. That's only Colorado. What can go wrong? <laughs> so do you have any new adventures in the works? Well, I still want to get to the stands. They still evade me. And now, like I say, in Bulgaria, I can be there in, in a three or four days. It's, it's a relatively short trip. Nice. So okay. I, I would like to try and do that. Um, I'd love to go to Iran. I still want to go to Iran. It's getting harder and harder. As a UK citizen, you can't freely travel around. It used to be just Americans, but now it's Americans, Canadians, and UK citizens have to have a guide with them at all times. Oh, that stinks. Um, yeah, it does sting. It's not just because you've got a guide you've got to pay for, but it just takes the spontaneity out of it. Sure. Uh, so I'd, until... Well, will things ever get better? We'll have to see. But, yeah. you know, I, I don't think uh, Iran is, is on the books at the moment. But it would be wonderful. It would be much easier to cross into Uzbekistan for Iran than it would be to get this notoriously unreliable ferry across the Caspian Sea. Oh, but, yeah. but that will be the next trip I'd really like to do. What about but South like America? I say, well, I've done South America as a backpacker and I really enjoyed it. And I've, I've read several books of people who have, have ridden South America, and it looks great. My Spanish is even worse than my Bulgarian. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so you need to go back. <laughs> and I, I guess Asia is something that hasn't appealed to you yet? 
Well, again, I've done, I've cycled uh, a lot of Asia and uh, oh. travelled quite a lot of it as a as a backpacker. So I feel I've seen enough of Asia. I kind of like the Middle East. I'd love to to see more of this area, and uh, and and it all feels quite close to where I'm sort of situated sure. at the moment. It's quite convenient for you because you're right there. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So how can listeners learn more about you and your books? Um, well, I've got a website, which is www.grahamfield.co.uk. And on the website, you can see all the books. You can listen to little snippets of the audio book, in case you haven't had enough of my voice yet. You can... <laughs> Um, you can, there's, uh, I, I write a column for Adventure Bike TV and you can see my columns there. You, there's links to other broadcasts I've done. There's, you can buy the t-shirt, you can get the sticker, you can, um, you can pretty much browse and see various, uh, it's got pretty much everything a, a website needs. Right. Is that, uh, is that a Harley Davidson tattoo I see on your right arm? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <All right>. Awesome. <laughs> that was my uh, that was my first tattoo, and uh, yeah, so it's highly tattoo. And then when this, like we talked about earlier, when this branding sort of came in, I didn't really want to be associated so much with the branding. So I had my tattooist change the shield that the eagle sits on into a shovel head bottom end. Oh, there you so, go. <laughs> So I really like it like that. You know, if you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get a KRLR tattoo now. Yeah, big green K. That's what my body's lacking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any uh, any last comments or words of encouragement to any would-be motorcycle travelers? Um, a couple of things. Don't listen to the naysayers. Don't listen to the people who haven't done it. But, you know, when I told people in mainland US that I was going to Mexico, every comment I got was negative. And it was always from someone who hadn't been there. Right. Wherever you're thinking of going, talk to people who have been there, not to people who haven't. Because um, everywhere is accessible and nearly everywhere people are genuinely, generally good people. I, 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 a friend said something recently and said, you know, our souls, the planet is not full of our souls, but they are strategically placed so that you come across one a day. I love that. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right. And so, you know, dreams don't come reality unless you push them a little bit. But exactly. uh, it, it, it's not as difficult as you think. And and people have sort of, it is lovely when I get emails from people who have read the books and it's inspired them to, to go off and, and, and do that what they, they dreamt of doing. So right. uh, that's that's always doing what's... And the other thing which I tend to go on about is beware that you don't become a slave to your electronics. I see so many people staring at their phones, stabbing at their sat-navs and are completely oblivious to what's going on around them. Or they're filming it on their GoPros. They're constantly charging batteries or, or blogging or whatever, and they're missing what's around them. As, as a lone rider, I will sit in a cafe and I will watch a bunch of bikes pull up. And the second they knock it into neutral, it's a green light to pull out the phone. They don't even look at their surroundings. Wow. And sit in their restaurants looking at their phone. I watched a guy, I was in Macedonia in a service station, and I saw another bike, and this guy pulls up, 
stabs at his sat nav for about 10 minutes and pulls off again. He didn't even see me and my bike. He was oblivious. And I see this all the time. Wow. And I, I loved, I, I'm so happy that I come from a time before GPS, before phones, before internet, before Facebook, before blogging it. Yeah, do, if you are going to do a significant ride, do it for you. Don't do it for Facebook likes. Don't do it for blog followers. Don't spend your time following somebody else's coordinates on a GPS. If you have to stop and ask for directions, that's interaction. Sure. And they're the memories that stay with you. I had to do that in Iraq. And I had to ask the most intimidating and scariest people for directions. And that is so much more exciting, that, that interaction with locals, than just just obediently following arrows on your gps so th that would be my little ranty piece of advice is don't let your know, electronics own you own them and use them sporadically not habitually perfect and beautiful advice i totally <laughs> agree with you well graham i want to thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast you were absolutely fantastic and i'm a, I'm a fanboy i have to, I have to say that loud. i am Thank you very much for joining me, and I really hope to see something else coming out of you soon and uh, entertain us some more. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, Ted. Thanks for having me on, thank and you. hopefully we can do it again right. sometime. Don't go nowhere, because I want to talk to you some more. All right? Well, thank you okay. very much, Graham. Bye. Thanks for joining me and Graham here on the Motorcycle Man Podcast, where we talked about Graham's books, and make sure you go to gramfield.co.uk to learn more about Graham and get his books and you can get his stuff on audible.com as well I've listened to all of his audiobooks they're fantastic, extremely entertaining and I highly recommend you do that All right, thanks for joining me again and don't forget to check out our fellow podcasters YouTubers, bloggers and vloggers out there whose links you will find on our links page all these media outlets and many more out there do great things to promote and encourage our sport and this passion we all share. So, from Timbuktu, Chris the Joker, Justin Shoes, and me, Ted Wrongway, your host, thanks for listening to the Motorcycle Men podcast where we say stupid crap so you don't have to. Enjoy your ride, kids.